0: hello everyone welcome back to pod in the red sox blogging the redsox.com podcast i'm your host brendan campbell and today i'm happy to be joined by red sox beat writer bill Koch of the providence journal uh bill thank you for joining me today and a happy national donut day
1: ah thanks brendan i appreciate that
0: so uh before we get into any red sox related topics uh, i wanted to ask you first how you first got into sports journalism i should say uh, did growing up in the New England area have any influence on your career path?
1: Yeah, of course. I, I mean, you know, it's such a passionate area for sports. And I grew up a Red Sox fan, Patriots fan, Bruins, Celtics uh, in the 80s. That was Larry Bird. Um, obviously, the 86 Red Sox were the first Boston team to break my heart. You know, so, you you know, the region, you know it well, you know, the fans. Um, so you couldn't help but be. Drawn into who the teams were and and you know what they represented.
0: And you've been at the Providence Journal since 2014, correct?
1: Yeah, October 2014, I started there.
0: And did you join with the idea of covering the Red Sox right from the jump, or did you know you'd be covering other sports as well?
1: They hired me to do locals. Uh, I was doing the University of Rhode Island college basketball, high school sports. Um, we had a couple of Red Sox writers leave, uh, and in 2018, I, I proposed. Uh, to management that, um, you know, I would cover the team because generally it's it's a beat that is difficult for folks who, who are married, who have kids, the, the travel, you know, takes a big toll. Um, I was a single guy and, and I felt like, you know, I'm on staff, I, I may as well, you know, volunteer and give it a try. I love baseball. Uh, I always have, um, you know, following the team anyway, you know, so I figured why not? You know, let's let's give it a chance and, and see if they'd be receptive to it. And they were. And, um, you know, I enjoy it. I, I really do. I, I think the best part about it is you get to watch people every night who are the best in the world at what they do. And, and you can't help but appreciate that.
0: And how difficult was it to cover the team last year during the pandemic and summer camp and uh, restrict COVID restrictions and all that? It was brutal,
1: um, you know. But just like anything else was in 2020, everything was hard, um, you know. But covering the team, yeah, it, it was hard. Uh, you know, going to the ballpark every night, especially Fenway, and seeing it empty, just mentally, that that took a serious toll because that's that's always been a place that you associate with you know big crowds and, and joy and people having fun and and. Uh, you know, to see it the way it was and, and to be, you know, so uncertain in, in terms of the pandemic, it, it was just it was a really tough time.
0: So I guess on that note, how refreshing was it last week to see it back to nearly full capacity?
1: It's been great. Um, you know, even when we started the year at twelve percent, it, it was just nice to see people in there again. Um, you know, even if I think it was forty five hundred for, for the first homestand or so, um that that was a heck of a lot better than zero. Um, you know, it was just it was just so hard. It was so foreign last year. Um, you know, it, it's unlike anything you you ever could have imagined. Uh, so to have any fans back in Fenway w- was great. Uh, you know, that Saturday against the Marlins where you have, you know, some big outs in the late innings, uh, Adam Onovito getting pumped after a strikeout, uh, Hirokazu Sawamura getting pumped after a strikeout. That's when you kind of looked and said, okay, if, if we're not all the way back, we're certainly well on the way.
0: In addition to covering the Red Sox, you also uh, still cover local and, like, college basketball too, right?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I try to cover the the, the men's teams in Rhode Island, uh, URI, Providence, Bryant, and Brown. Uh, obviously, Brown didn't play last year. The Ivy League didn't sponsor sports. Um, you know, and then the URI women's team had, had a great year in 2020-21. Um, you know, so I do a lot of stuff with that. Um, you know, still do some high schools, uh, you know, whenever they need me. Um, and I enjoy it you know locals is fun um you know because it still means something when you're a kid and you have your name in the big statewide newspaper um you know so they're they're gonna be a lot more receptive to to who you are and your questions and the fact that you're there and that's you know that makes it enjoyable i i like covering anything that's passionate you know where people are playing hard and competing hard i I get drawn into to anything in, in that sort of environment
0: and would you say you m- notice more of that passion and like Major League Baseball or college basketball, for example?
1: It's, it's different. Um, you know, like if you get to the postseason, you get to September where games mean a lot and then into October, you you feel it. It gets cranked up. Um, you know, but as you know, baseball is, is just a long marathon. Um, you know, you, you don't get too excited over one game out of 162. Um, you know, every once in a while, you're going to see something phenomenal, whether it's you know, guy goes five for five and hits two home runs, or you know, someone throws a three-hit shutout. Um, but most nights, you know, the games will blend together a, a little bit. Um, you know, college basketball, you only have thirty or, or thirty-one, and you get into a new conference tournament and you need to win it to get to the NCAA. So it's a little different pressure, I, I guess. Every night, that that sort of, you know, that assigns a little bit different excitement to it. Um, you know, but I, I wouldn't say it's any more or less. It's just different.
0: And in your current role, is it a challenge to stay on top of everything Red Sox when something big happens in the college basketball world or, say, like when you need to cover a local sporting event? It can be. Yeah, it, it can be, but, yeah, you know, it's what I signed up for, and,
1: uh, and I'm okay with it. Um, you know, I, I definitely it, – it helps to enjoy what you do, and, and I do. Um, you know, I've told my friends and, and my family, uh, the day this stops being fun, I won't do it anymore, and, and that hasn't happened yet.
0: And because you write for a Rhode Island newspaper like the Providence Journal, do you think you try or like cover the team differently than you would if you wrote for like the Boston Globe or Boston Herald?
1: It's always going to be different, um, you know, especially because I think you're not going to have many players living here. So they're not necessarily going to know, you know, the Providence Journal. Um, you know, they're certainly going to know the Globe and the Herald. Uh, you know, masslive.com does great work, The Athletic. You know, other local papers in Massachusetts, you're more likely that a player is going to stumble across those uh, than the journal. But, you know, that doesn't mean that um, your work is any less valuable. You still get it out online, obviously, um, you know, and you can find just about anything online at this point. Um, You know, so you just you try to do the job the same way you would, you know, whether you're working at The Globe or The New York Times or The Washington Post or, or anywhere else.
0: Is there something unique you try to provide your audience with since uh, I'm sure the majority of them live in Rhode Island as opposed to Massachusetts, like when Trevor Kelly was up at the Red Sox a few years ago, Rhode Island Native, for example.
1: Yeah, Trevor Kelly or you know Friday night, Mike King starts for the Yankees. He's a Warwick guy. Um, you know Thomas Panone pitched for the Blue Jays uh, a couple of years ago. He, he's a Rhode Island guy. Uh, so you're always on the lookout for things like that, just like the Massachusetts papers would be. Um, you know, like when you had Rich Hill pitch against the Red Sox or, or somebody along those lines, you know, but I, I think generally, you, know, you just try to do the same thing uh, than anybody else would, um, you know, for me, I've, I've always been a baseball guy and a baseball fan, um, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to give a little insight into the game and, you know, why they would make certain decisions a, a certain way, um, you know, but for the most part, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to do the job the best I can.
0: And on that note, in regards to covering the Red Sox on social media, from what I can tell, I think you're like one of the only beat writers I follow, at least, who uh, like tries to relay everything on a Zoom call with like a player, coach, Alex Cora, so on. So is there a reasoning behind that? And uh, why do you think more reporters don't do the same?
1: I just think for me, it's it's access that we have that fans don't, and, and I always think that you know, media is supposed to be the conduit for the fans, the voice of the fans, um, you know, the way that fans can ask questions of, of players and, and of coaches, um, you know, and I, I think it's important to to put out what players and coaches are saying, because not all that is going to make it in print and, and not all of it is going to make it into your story, um, you know, but I think if, if you have a quote or two and, and uh, you know, something sticks out from, from a Zoom session or a press conference, you know, why not put it out there? Um, you know, I, I think. I think it humanizes people in a way too. You know, I, I think people want to know um, a little bit more about Alex Cora, a little bit more about Matt Barnes or about Xander Bogarts. Um, you know, not just what kind of players they are, what kind of coaches they are, but what kind of people they are. Um, you know, and so I think if, if you're tweeting out quotes from their Zoom sessions, I, I think it, it gives you a little fuller context into who they are, how they think, how they approach their job, um, you know, and so for me, I, I guess that's something I just started doing, and and I don't I don't see myself you know stopping doing that anytime soon.
0: Is that something you did before, like the Zoom sessions were a thing, like pre-pandemic, or
1: I've done it in in like college basketball press conferences, uh, in Alex Corris press conferences when when I started in 2018, uh, his pregame availabilities, I, I would tweet out some notes, um, you know, right after those. Um, you know, I just think it's that's kind of what Twitter was created for that immediacy, Um, you know, and so I I think I'd I'd want to use it in that way. Um, You know, like anything else, it's, it's evolved into something else, uh, you know, for good or for bad, we could debate that for, for a whole different podcast. Um, You know, but I I think it's just, you know, it's just another way to put information out to to give more context to your readers and, and to your followers. And, you know, I try to maximize it as best I can.
0: And with COVID restrictions starting to loosen or continuing to loosen, I should say, uh, how much longer do you think it will be until major league clubs such as the Red Sox allow you guys back into the clubhouse like before games or in the dugout before games, stuff like that? You know, it's a good
1: question. And and that's something that we're talking about right now amongst ourselves. Um, You know, I know in some places they're starting to let reporters on the field during batting practice. Um, You know, that's sort of the first step. Uh, You can request one-on-ones from the stands and and you can get a player in the dugout. Uh, That depends on your team's public relations department and how cooperative they are and how cooperative the players would be. You know, I I would think, though, and and this is important to remember, is that clubhouse access and and player access, that's all collectively bargained. Um, You know, between MLB and the union, um, you know, the media obviously has the BBWAA and and we have representatives who are involved in that in in terms of trying to uh, restore that access to the players. Um, But that has to be collectively bargained and and agreed upon by the players and and by the owners. Um, You know, so we're hopeful, of course, uh, you know, that we'll get back to doing the job the way we always did it. But, um, you know, we're, we're understanding of the fact that, you know, the last year and a half have been very different times uh, with the pandemic and, and obviously health issues and, you know, health and safety are, are paramount you know those those are more important than um you know than our access to the players uh, you know i know there's been some discussion about possibly allowing vaccinated media onto the field into the clubhouse um, you know i've had both of my shots I, I feel very fortunate very liberated to to have done so um you know and i think that's going to be important going forward but uh you know you you know that uh, there are a fair amount of players who who have not Um, you know, the Red Sox haven't reached the 85% threshold yet. Um, You know, there are several other teams who haven't, Um, you know, so I would understand why MLB and and why the players would be a little bit wary, Um, you know, and I I can understand why it hasn't been restored fully just yet.
0: Uh, So with the CBA expiring, I believe it's this winter, do you think that will see uh, result in any permanent changes in regards to player media relations?
1: I mean, that's that's one thing that you're concerned about, right? I, I mean, the last year they haven't had to deal with us in person. And, you know, a lot of things have been over Zoom, obviously. And, you know, it, it has changed the dynamic be, between players and media. And, and I'd be lying to you if I said I knew where this was going to end up, uh, you know, because I really don't. I, I, I'm not certain. Uh, you know, I, I obviously hope that it goes back to the way it was. Um, but I don't take that for granted. I, I don't take that as a guarantee. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in December when the CBA expires. There, there are significant issues, uh, between the players and and the owners that they're going to have to sort through, um, clubhouse access is is way, way down the list, uh, in terms of the things that, that they're going to be haggling over, uh, you know, those negotiations are going to be very contentious, um, you know, especially, with finances continuing to be what they are, Uh, you know, over the last year and a half, two years, you you know that owners are going to be saying we've lost so much money and, you know, we we can only afford this in terms of luxury tax. And the players are going to say, you know, all but one of your teams are worth a billion dollars. You have the money, you share it with us still. Um, You know, so those those are going to be some very spirited, uh, you know, possibly mean spirited negotiations and and I'm not sure you know how much they're going to prioritize our access in, in those.
0: And you miss maybe the element of just like going up to a player on a whim pre-game and talking to him instead of like a pre-arranged Zoom call as it is now.
1: Well I mean it, it you know just in terms of an off the record conversation with a player it it, it humanizes you as well. You know you're not you're not just somebody looking for a story or looking for an angle or, you know, looking for a comment, you're not asking them for something all the time. Um, you know, you, you might just say, Hey, you know, how are your kids doing? How's your wife doing? You know, just, just little things like that. Uh, you know, you, you have someone who went to a big college football school, you say, Hey man, you know, that was a great game the other night, you know, Texas playing LSU or something like that. Um, you know that that's all part of going through six months and, and trying to form relationships. Um, you know, it makes it a little easier when you do have a tough question that, that they actually know you a little bit. You know, they they know that um you know you're you're not just out to get them in, in a way, you know, you're you're just there to do your job. Uh, you know, and I I think you miss out on a lot of that when, when you don't have clubhouse access. Now, there are a lot of days where you don't have much interaction and that's just the nature of it. But, um, you know, even those little things you, you have, you, know, you get those little bits of information that that little bit of, of humanity and sometimes that turns into bigger stories, uh, you know, more important stories down the line.
0: And I'm sure you've been to Fenway Park already this season, but have you or do you have any plans to travel for any of the Red Sox upcoming road trips this summer or into the fall? You know, we're talking about it.
1: Um, you know, the, the big reason to travel forever w- was the access, was the clubhouse access, uh, you know, was the access to the manager, which you never had before. Um, you know, and, and now that they're doing everything on Zoom, uh, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily need to travel for that. Uh, you know, we are discussing it. We're talking about it. You know, I know some outlets have started to travel again. I, I know the Globe has been traveling. Uh, you know, Mass Live is back on the road. The Athletic is on the road. Uh, MLB.com is on the road. Um, you know, so it, it's quite a few now, um, you know, getting up to about a handful, uh, generally it's, you know, give or take it's eight to 10 in a normal year. Um, you know, so I, I think as the season goes on, you'll, you'll see that. Um, you know, I don't know if necessarily we'll go to, you know, like Kansas City or Detroit or, you know, Tampa or something like that, but, you know, certainly New York is on the table. Um, you know, somewhere like, uh, you know, somewhere a little more local, uh, you know, I, I could certainly see us like going to New York, going to Baltimore, um, you know, something along those lines, but it's not something we formally discussed, but I, I'm open to it. Um, you know, like I said earlier, being vaccinated, I'm, I'm good with, uh, you know, being out in public, I'm good with traveling. I'm, I'm okay with anything they ask me to do.
0: And just talk about access. Um, is it maybe easier to like talk to players on the road? Cause, uh, it's like an unfamiliar setting almost for them, like they don't know like the ins and outs of the clubhouse.
1: It's always easier on the road because you generally have less people on the road. Uh, you know, if you go to home game and you're in the Red Sox clubhouse and in, in a given home game, average night game uh in June with no Celtics or Bruins playoffs, you're looking at 15, 20 media members in there before the game. Uh that's probably cut in half on the road. Uh, you know, and 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 also you, you have to keep in mind that. You know, the Red Sox home clubhouse is one of the smallest in the big leagues. Uh, if you go on the road, you're just not tripping over each other like like you would be uh, at Fenway. So, it, it's a lot more comfortable environment. I would say it's a lot less cluttered environment. Um, you know, I think I think players might feel a little bit more comfortable uh, on the road. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's certainly different. Um, you know, they're not going to be besieged by you know the the circle of media where it's 15 or 20 people. And, uh, you know, it it feels like the walls are closing in a little bit. That that's much less when you're away and you're at Camden Yards and you know, there's only eight people on the trip and, you know, it's a much bigger space. Uh, it's a very different dynamic. Um, you know, and a lot of times you, you can get players one-on-one on on the road. You, You wouldn't necessarily be able to do that at home. Um, you know, just because there's, there's so many people around, uh, you know, so there's, there's definite value in those road trips, there's definite value in that access. And, and of course, you know, we hope it comes back.
0: And uh, Turning what the Red Sox are doing on the field now, now that we're just over a third of the way into the season, what have you made of the team thus far? And do you think they can seriously uh, compete for the division this year?
1: I've been pleasantly surprised, I'll admit that. I, I thought at the start of the year, I had them down for about 85 wins. I, I figured they would be better. Um, you know, certainly the middle of the lineup I thought would be good, and, and it has been. Uh, I've been pleasantly surprised by the starting pitching; it's been really good. Um, you know, it's it's obviously you watch last year and you think, my God, sixteen different starters in sixty games and a 5580 ERA for a team, which which was franchise worst. Um, you know, they were dreadful. There there were guys out there. You know, I don't know how many nights who who weren't fit to wear the shirt. Quite frankly. Um, You know, but this year they've been really good. Uh, You look at guys like Martin Perez and Nick Pavetta and Garrett Richards. They've all been excellent. Um, And so I I generally think that because their starting pitching has been so good, they've been a little better than I expected. Um, The the lineup two through five, I think is really solid. Uh, Obviously, a huge boost with J.D. Martinez getting back to who he's been previously in his career. Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers are are about what I expected. Uh, You know, they play it on all star level at this point. I don't see that changing anytime soon. You put Alex Verdugo in front of those three, I I certainly think he's a capable facilitator. Uh, They do have some holes in the lineup. Uh, The leadoff spot has been contentious. Uh, Kike Hernandez has been good leading off games and good leading off innings, but as a whole, his on base is below 300. Um, you know, when the lineup turns to him for some key at bats later in the game, I, I think you see them get hurt a little bit uh, until Hunter Renfro started to hit the, the bottom of the order was a bit feast or famine. Um, you know, he had a great May and, and has continued that through the Astros series into June. Um, you know, but you wonder where they'll be after Devers, after that five spot. You know, do they just fall off a cliff? The last four hitters, you, you wonder if they have the personnel there to sustain. Um, and then in the bullpen, obviously Matt Barnes has been excellent. I, I think he's an American League All Star at this point, or should be. Um, you wonder about the bridge to him. Uh, Adam Ottavino has been much better, you know, over his last ten to twelve outings. Uh, he, he's been a very capable eighth inning guy. Darwin's and Hernandez had a really good outing the other night in Houston. You'd love to see him be in that mix for a seventh or eighth inning guy. Uh, you wonder what Brandon Workman can give them coming back. Uh, you know, so for me. The big questions, I think, are in the bullpen, um, you know, the lineup a little bit around the two through five hitters, uh, you know, and whether or not their starters are going to continue to be healthy because there there are some durability concerns with those guys in terms of their track record. But I've been most pleasantly surprised by by that group. The rotation, I think, has been excellent. And and when your rotation is good, they give you a chance to win every night. And, And these guys generally have had one.
0: And with uh, the Red Sox playing the Yankees for the first time this season tonight, do you find it odd that it took this long for the two teams to play each other this season? It does feel strange, right?
1: You know, you're all the way into June, and, and this is their first game. And you know the Red Sox played 56 games, and, and this is their first one against the Yankees. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to be seeing a lot of them the rest of the way. Um, you know, but yeah, it, it does feel a little odd. Uh, you know, and the fact that the Red Sox have been good so far, it has built some anticipation for the series Um, you know this road trip i think this stretch in general was one that people looked at and and had circled because you're playing playoff teams from last year uh 21 straight games against playoff teams from last season uh right now boston's four and four in that stretch um you know and you're you're curious to see how they're going to balance out against you what you figured would be the iron of the league Uh, obviously yankee stadium has been a really tough place for them Since the 2018 ALDS, they've really had a hard time there, only won once since then, um, you know, over the last two seasons. So you're really curious to see, you know, what the Red Sox can prove, what they can salvage from this trip. They're obviously one and three coming out of Houston. Um, You know, can they win two out of three against the Yankees and and come home three and four? That's not the worst thing in the world. Um, You know, could they somehow sweep the Yankees and come home four and three? I, I think anyone would sign up for that. Um, you know, but you're just interested to see these are good litmus tests at this point to see whether or not this team can realistically contend going into July and whether or not they should realistically add at the deadline.
0: And I know Alex Cora has been asked a lot this year about like how fans re- will react to them throughout different ballparks. But do you think uh, the response at Yankee stadium tonight and this weekend will be a little different?
1: I think it's going to be really tough. Yeah. I, I think if, if Alex was ever going to wear earplugs, I, I think he should do it this weekend, uh, you know, because the Yankees would look and, and would say that, that they were one of the teams who got cheated by the Astros and, and potentially by the Red Sox in 2018. Uh, they obviously lost in playoffs to, to both of those teams in the ALCS to Houston in 2017, in the ALDS to the Red Sox in 2018. Uh, the Yankees and the Dodgers seem to have been the, the most aggrieved franchises in terms of electronic sign stealing. Um, you know, and Yankee Stadium is, is no fan of the Red Sox to begin with, uh, you know, and, and you're certainly you're going to come in there with two teams toward the top of the AL East. Uh, you know, Boston was was so bad last year. You know, Yankee fans are going to want to remind them of that. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's so many things that make the rivalry great, obviously, uh, you know, just that sort of venom, that sort of energy, um, you know, and Alex Carr being back there and, and going back there for the first time after, after everything he's gone through. Um, you know, that just adds another layer to it. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: And you mentioned the trade deadline coming up. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe it's only just like eight weeks away. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's a position group the Red Sox could be looking to upgrade at the moment?
1: Well, certainly in the bullpen. I, I think that's I think that's a place where generally any contender looks to upgrade. Uh, you, know, you always want an extra arm or two for high leverage. Uh, when you go into the postseason, you, you want to be able to match up a little better. Uh, against opposing hitters. So I I certainly think that that would be a spot where you would look. Um, You know, I certainly think that if you could somehow target another outfield bat, that that wouldn't necessarily hurt. Um, You know, I I certainly think that, you know, you've got some questions there long term about whether or not Kike Hernandez is is a guy who you want to play every night in a postseason series, whether or not Danny Santana is a guy you'd want to play every night in a postseason series. Um, you know, you look at second base, and you think going forward, is Christian Arroyo going to be a sort of everyday type? Is he going to split that with Marvin Gonzalez? How's that going to work? Uh, first base, is Bobby Dalbec going to hit enough? Are they going to use Santana there? Um, so I, I think that those are probably the positions that that you would sniff around at a little bit. I, I don't I don't necessarily know how dramatic a move they would make at this point, Um, you know, if they consider themselves contenders, I think this is probably a year earlier than, than they envisioned. I I think if you were to inject them with some truth serum, I I think they would probably tell you that that they expected to be good next year in 2022. And maybe this might be a little bit of a pleasant surprise because they've pitched so well. And, and uh, you know, because the middle of their lineup has carried them the way it has, Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm curious to see, what they think of this team. I I think their actions at the deadline are going to show us how seriously they consider this team's chances to be. Um, You know, but I I would think that just about anything is on the table outside of third base, shortstop, catcher, designated hitter, um, you know, maybe in terms of your rotation because you do get Chris Sale back at some point, you hope. Um, But I would think bullpen and and their at least – two or three positions in the lineup that that you would take a serious look at.
0: And um, I don't have the transactions in front of me, but just based off feel, I feel like the Rays over the years have, even while competing, they've kind of sold off some pieces um, while still remaining competitive. So you see High and Bloom trying to do something like that the next few weeks.
1: In terms of a
0: blockbuster
1: move, like a a headlining type move, I I don't necessarily see that. I I think – a big part of and Bloom's mission when he took the job as chief baseball officer here was trying to build depth within the organization. Uh, he looked at a farm system that didn't necessarily have too many high-value prospects, and, and I think he's added a few. Um, you know, but I also think that that he was looking at trying to have more of those prospects as, as well. Um, you know, maybe second-tier guys who could potentially be contributors at the major league level, if not stars. Um, you know, and I. I think he'd be hesitant to, to deal off pieces like that uh, just to try to get a rental for a team that might contend, um, you know, that might be a team that could win around in the playoffs. I, I don't know how necessarily convinced they are that, that this is that type of team just yet. Um, you know, so I, I think you might see more minor moves at the deadline if, if they're still in this position. Um, you'd see strengthening, but I don't necessarily know if you would see them trade for like a Justin Verlander, like Houston did a few years ago, where, where you make the big splash and you come in and, you know, you deal prospects away for a marquee player. Um, you, you look at what they did in free agency this offseason. They weren't necessarily in on any of the marquee guys like Trevor Bauer. Um They made more conservative signings, more understated signings that have panned out. In general, Um, you know, signing Garrett Richards has turned out to be a a really good move. You know, so I I think you're probably bidding more in that second tier in in terms of trades. And and I think that means that you're probably dealing off depth pieces in your minor league system, not necessarily like, you know, a Jaron Duran, let's say, for a, you know, a number one starter. I, I don't necessarily think that you would see that sort of deal out of the Red Sox at this deadline.
0: And just speaking about roster moves in general, um, if you look at the Red Sox 40 man roster, a lot of space is reserved for like prospects who aren't exactly major league ready at the moment. So you think uh, they'll have to create some space there if they were to make moves at the deadline or just looking ahead to like this winter to free up some space there?
1: Well, just in the immediate term, you, you've got two guys on the 60 day IL, whether it's Ryan Brazier or Chris Sale, uh, who you'll need to create space for at some point later this year. So there, there's definitely going to be a couple moves coming up. Uh, you know, I know Brazier is is close to starting a rehab assignment. Um, you know, so you're looking at him trying to come back. Uh, eventually you'll have to add him to the 40 man, you know, probably by the start of July, you you would think. You would think he'd be ready to go by the end of this month. Um, you know, maybe the start of July. So you're looking at at least one 40 man move coming. Um, you know, I I definitely think that. Uh, you know, you, you start looking at guys like Jay Groom and, and guys like Brian Mata, uh, you know, someone like Thaddeus Ward, who had Tommy John surgery um, on Thursday. He, he's someone who would be subject to 40 man protection over this offseason. Um, you know, had a great year in 2019 in the minor leagues. Is he someone now who maybe you let slip through? Um, the Yankees certainly tried that with Garrett Whitlock and, and he got picked by the Red Sox in the Rule 5 draft. And, and it's worked out very well for Boston going forward, um, you know, so that's sort of the risk that you run in, in terms of prospect. Um, you know, it, it's, it's no different than when you designate somebody for assignment, you are taking a leverage gamble that they get through waivers and, and are able to report to one of your affiliates. Um, you know, so I, I certainly think that, that those discussions are, are ongoing, even now in, in terms of how they'd like to line up their 40 men, who they think they might protect this offseason. Um, you know, who they project as being in AAA, in Boston, uh, going forward. Um, you know, someone like Groom, I, I think is, you know, he's young enough, uh, hasn't necessarily been on the mound enough where he's still a curiosity to them. They, they still have a fair amount invested in him. Um, you know, but if you're somebody who was a lower round pick, you know, somebody like a Marcus Wilson who, who wasn't necessarily drafted, developed here, um, you know, you might consider someone like that expendable. Um, you know, I, I certainly think, uh, you know, that, the, that those discussions are ongoing. I, I think Haim Bloom looks at the 40 man as sort of a fluid document. I, I don't necessarily think that he sees it as something fixed where, you know, 35 guys are, are very secure and there's only five spots. I, I think he sees, you know, maybe 15 spots that, that could be moved at just about any time. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that you know Boston will have some moves coming up here in the next month or so. Uh, certainly with Brazier, and then possibly at the trade deadline. Um, you know, and, and that those offseason conversations are, are already well underway.
0: And would you imagine um, the prospects they acquired to complete the Andrew Benintendi deal would be 40-man guys or probably of the lower level?
1: My guess would be that they're not 40-man guys. Um, you know, because you're you're looking at a situation where you're getting three players here. Um, you know, you've, you've already gotten uh, Josh Winkowski, who's off to a nice start at Portland. Um, three additional players, if you had to make three additional 40-man moves, um, would stand to reason that those would be higher-level guys. Um, and I don't necessarily think that, that that's the way the trade was designed. Um, you know, when, when they spoke about needing to see guys on the field this year you know, that, that sort of said to me that these necessarily weren't guys who were at alternate sites last year. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily really high value prospects of the Royals and of the Mets. Um, you know, but more depth guys for their system. Um, you know, and I know that's something that Bloom has spoken about, you know, just trying to build the base a little bit, trying to make the Red Sox minor leagues a little more competitive, you know, trying to have more options coming through. Um, you know, so I, I definitely think that, Probably lower level guys, guys who you'll see in A ball and double A, um, you know, not necessarily guys who are going to be top 30 prospects in the organization right away, Um, you know, but guys who have some talent who who they might think they're able to mold into something in the future.
0: Yeah, I think the deadline for the the Mets players today, so that should be something to look forward to. Right. Speaking of marquee events in July, like the trade deadline, uh, the All-Star game is also right around the corner. Uh, I know you mentioned Matt Barnes having a good shot, but uh, as of today, if you were to put a ballpark on how many Red Sox players will be going to Colorado, uh, what number would you give and why?
1: In my mind, I think four are are deserving. Um, You know, I look at Martinez, Bogarts, Devers, and Barnes. I I think those four guys have done enough through 56 games to to be selected. Um, You know, if you look at categories in the American League, whether at their specific positions or overall, uh, Martinez, Bogarts, and Devers have been among the best, most productive hitters in the league. Uh, you know, Bogarts leads shortstops in the AL in several major categories. Uh, Devers and, and Martinez are, are at or near the top in terms of extra base hits, in terms of OPS. Um, you know, I'm not sure there's much more that you could ask of them. Uh, and obviously, Barnes, I, I think, has just been excellent uh, in terms of being a closer. And you look at an all-star roster in a given year, you're, you're generally taking – starters, you know, maybe four or five different closers. I I certainly think he's been among the top three, four or five closers in the AL. So you you can make a justified argument, I think, for all four of those guys. Um, You know, whether or not you want to try to expand that over the next 30 games, if if someone gets a little hot and, you know, starts to push on on his position group, uh, you know, if Nick Pavetta or Martin Perez put together four or five more starts and and sort of on that trend that they've been on recently, um, you know, maybe you can make some kind of argument for them, but um, you know, just for now, conservatively, I I would say, I think at least four Red Sox have done enough to be named to that team.
0: Just in regards to Devers, do you think there's any long-term concerns about his struggles against the fastball this season?
1: I think that it's an instance where, uh, his timing's a little bit off and he tried to speed up a little bit. Um, you know, and the swing just gets off. And, and it's, I think it's it, it it's a really good illustration of of how good major league pitching is. Um, you know, and just how finite, uh, you know, how minute adjustments can be in terms of hitting. Um, you know, timing being what it is, if if you're just a tick off, you're you're just not gonna hit. Um you know, and that just that just gets magnified when you're in the big leagues. Um, you know, you look at you look at Devers, and he's swinging through balls and, and really struggling. Uh, you know, and then Thursday squares one up and and absolutely crushes a double to center field uh, in his first bat. And, and I'm sure that that felt good for him. Uh, you know, Tim Hires, the Red Sox hitting coach, spoke to us on Thursday and, and said he felt like Devers was was getting sped up a little bit. He was off in his timing a little bit, and, and they were doing some things to try to shorten him up to the ball, um, you know, try to take a little bit of the motion out of his swing and and just make him more direct to the ball. And and I think that's important going forward. You know, these guys talk about getting too big at times. And and I think, you know, Devers, what he's been doing recently is a classic example of someone who's getting too big, you know, maybe swinging a little bit too hard. Just let your natural power take over. Let the ball's velocity take over. Uh, It's physics, you know, really simple. Um, you know, because that guy is, he's a genius with the bat in his hand. He he really is. If if you look at what he's doing against off-speed pitches this year, he's crushing them. Uh, The fact that he can hit with power to all fields, uh, the fact that he's doing all this at 24, um, you know, he's a savant. I don't don't necessarily think that anything that happens to him is any sort of long-term concern, Um, you know, because I just, I think that much of his talent, I think he's that good.
0: Last question for me, which is actually a string of questions, but uh, one of the hottest topics this season has simply been uh, when one of the Red Sox planning on calling up Jaron Duran or when will they call up Jaron Duran? Uh, Duran, not in Worcester right now, currently playing for Team USA for an Olympic qualifier. Um, One of his teammates, long-time Major League Third Baseman, Todd Frazier, threw out a Mike Trout comp when talking about him. Uh, Do you believe that's fair comparison to make?
1: (laughs) Never. No, you shouldn't compare anyone to Mike Trout. But I I understand what Todd Frazier was doing there. He he was trying to give Darren Duran a compliment and a very nice one. Um, You know, and certainly I I think, you know, what Frazier is doing there is is he's pointing out the fact that Duran has obvious physical tools, uh, elite physical tools, whether it's his speed, uh, his projectability in the outfield, uh, the fact that he's hitting for power, uh, that he's worked on his body, that he's worked on his swing. Uh, gets a lot more lift. Um, you know, someone who is able to drive the ball now. Um, you know, he was a, a gap hitter coming out of Long Beach, uh, you know, somebody who they drafted a little bit further down, you know, sixth, seventh round. Uh, you know, now somebody who's performing like he should have been picked in the comp round in the second round. Uh, you know, somebody who has significant physical upside. And and so I think. You know, the Red Sox are mindful of the fact he hasn't played many games above double A. I, I think, uh, you know, they want to see him get that development time, get a certain amount of at bats, uh, deal with pitchers who, who have game plans. Uh, a lot of guys who have pitched in the big leagues who will pick on your weaknesses and, and make you get better. Um, you know, I also think that if you're going to promote him at, at some point, uh, he's not on the 40 man. Um, you're also going to have to make a, a 26 man decision uh, you know so there'd be significant um you know roster ramifications if, if you do want to call him up uh you know we we saw you know how much time they took just to add brandon workman uh and designate colton brewer um you know i i think they take those decisions really seriously and, and so you know it, it, people would look and they would say well it's just as simple as you know add duran dfa you know player x and, and start over I don't think they look at it that casually. Um, you know, I, I think they, you know, they they, they, want to jealously guard just about every player that they have. They, they don't want to lose anyone in waivers. Uh, I mean, just think back to the offseason, how many times they went back and forth with Joel Pyeops, uh, you know, between them and the Blue Jays and the Diamondbacks and back to the Blue Jays and back to the Red Sox. Um, you know, So I, I think that it, it's that type of, of front office. They're going to be sticky with their players. Uh, you know, and I, I don't necessarily think that activating Duran unless he's going to be an everyday player, an everyday piece, and they feel like he's ready for that. I don't think they're they're going to do it just necessarily to to give the roster a boost. I, I think that would be something that that they would look at and say, we're not going to do this until we think it's permanent and and he's going to stay here in a defined role in a definite position.
0: Um, I've been thinking about this a little bit recently, but uh, how much of Duran's success since being drafted, really, would you chalk up to him or how much would you chalk up to, say, like the Red Sox player development department? Uh,
1: I I think in any player's development, I think it falls on both. I I think it's up to the player to try to maximize his career, um, you know, how seriously he takes it, how much he works his craft, how much he works on his body, um, how much time and and energy he devotes to trying to stay healthy and and improve. Um, I also think it, it does fall on player development. Uh, to give players the best opportunity possible, uh, to give them clear direction, uh, to give them a clear role, uh, to give them a clear idea of where they're seen by the organization. I think that's really important. Um, You know, so I I do think it is a mutual thing. Um, You know, and and the one thing that you can't predict is health. Um, You know, you look at somebody like Groom, who on paper was a great prospect coming out of high school. He's been hurt. Uh, someone like Mata, who signed for a pretty modest bonus, um, you know, blossomed physically and, and now is hurt. You can't necessarily predict those things, but I, I, I do think it, player development is a mutual endeavor. I, I think it's on the player to maximize himself, and I think it's on player development with the Red Sox or, or any other organization to give clear direction and a clear path for the player to get better.
0: And uh, just another. Estimate question for you. Uh, if you have to give a date for when Duran will be making his major league debut, where would you set that at? Uh, I'm
1: gonna say August 15th, just a, a nice round number later in the year.
0: Uh do, do rosters expand this year like the 28 in September, Did they get rid of that.
1: They go to 28. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you're gonna get two more spots, uh, you know, but it's not like it used to be where you go to 40 and you need an auxiliary clubhouse at Fenway and you'd have guys out in the hallway getting dressed, And, uh, you know, particularly on the visiting side, which is really small, you're, you're really struggling to find lockers and guys are tripping over each other over there. Um, you know, yet goes to 28 guys. Um, and so you'd be interested to see who they'd bring up and, and where they're at at that point in the season. Uh, you know, obviously if you're out of the race, it's a proving ground at that point, you might bring up a couple guys who you're thinking about for next season either as being part of the plans or as somebody who you're going to move off the 40 min roster. Um, you know, it could, could serve as a tryout at that point. Uh, if you're in contention, you try to address certain position groups that, that you might think, you know, do you need an extra position player, another catcher, an extra bat, um, an extra bullpen arm? Um, you know, so those, those decisions will be just like anything else. You'll, you'll look at them based on where they're at um, in the standings and, and in contention. Um, you know, and you'll make them, you know, based on the either the short-term or the long-term outlook of the organization.
0: All right, well, Bill Koch, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, you can follow Bill on Twitter at BillKoch25 and read his work on the Red Sox and other sports by checking out the Providence Journal. Bill, thank you again. Thanks, Brendan.